on TikTok recently, there was this woman who was anti-mask, and I kid you not, Gabe, Nick, I kid you not. She was like, well, here's why. This is the mask my son wears, and she grabs a spray bottle, and she, and she sprays it through the mask, and obviously, because it's one of those thin-ass pieces of shit, you can see droplets. So then she followed up with an actual mask. And you know when somebody does an experiment, but it doesn't result in the result they want? <laughs> you could not see droplets come through. So then she was doing it with the spray no- nozzle, like, really close to the <laughs> to the mask, like, pushing through. And then you could see, like, some droplets come through. Like, But it was like, bitch, you, you owned your own fucking self. How come that lady posted that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Because, because, because the common man does not seem to be aware of, like, this idea of you just proved yourself wrong and so have some fucking shame and shut the fuck up. (laughs) We don't live in that timeline anymore, Gabe. No, no. Somebody will tell you the sky is purple and you are in the wrong for not agreeing with them. And I'm tired of the fucking sky is purple people. Like, I'm fucking tired of them. The sky is not fucking purple. I don't have to respect your opinion. We're not going to agree to disagree. The sky is not fucking purple. I mean, just except sometimes when, like, the sun's going down and like, you know, the- <laughs> this episode of it will probably be okay was recorded on October 20th, 2020. The year of our Lord, Wampa Ding Dong. Anyway, let's get to it, guys. Today, we'll discuss the great escape. Enduring and surviving the pandemic in the state of U.S. government affairs. With the pandemic rearing and the U.S. teetering on fascism, how has that impacted the ways in which you seek to entertain yourselves? What are you doing now that you weren't doing before the pandy? What were you doing before the pandy that you can no longer stomach now? What are your recommendations for books, music, film, television, social media, hobbies, yada yada, that can help our listeners make the great escape from real life? Hi, my name is Nikenji and I'm just a young woman trying to survive the apocalypse. I'm Nick and once again, I am drinking a hard seltzer. And my name is Gabe Wollenberg, and I'm pretty sure I'm in for a dark winter. All right, let's first get into our mini topics. Who wants to go first? I'll jump in first. This is actually kind of tangentially related to the, the overall topic. On Saturday nights, typically, my wife and I are just hanging out, um, having a beer, having a laugh, and a lot of the time, we will put on the Food Network, because Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives is on. I don't know if either of you are familiar with Guy Fieri and Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. 
I make this argument to my friends. I, I don't like Guy Fieri at all. I actually feel like I like the show. I like seeing the different restaurants and the food and watching Guy do all of the silly Guy stuff is just kind of the price you have to pay to in, enjoy the, the other parts of the show. But anyways, just to throw me off a little bit during the pandemic now, Food Network moved this night-long Saturday night back-to-back-to-back-to-back Diners and Drives and and Dives episodes to Friday. And so now they have like Halloween shows and stuff on Saturday. And it just, it totally cramps my style. So I just, you know, if Food Network is listening to this, put put Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives back on, on Saturday, please. What do you think they're chasing with that schedule change? Or did they know I, I, that you'll follow? Like, cause I, I, I honestly, f- Friday is not a TV night for me at the end of the week. I'm done. Like I, mm-hmm. I Friday night is not a good night. I think every it, night is it, a good night for TV game. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I'm a middle-aged white guy. I go to bed in Watertown, Wisconsin. I go to bed about six 30. <laughs> Seriously? No, the chickens have to be put to bed before that, but <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I just, I don't watch TV on Friday nights, especially because like, if I try, I'm just going to go to sleep because I'm old. I wish I could do that. I'm now of the age, Gabe, where sleep doesn't come easy, you know? I would recommend having twins, twin toddlers at the same time. Because <laughs> then when it's time for you to go to bed, you just go right to bed. Ugh, I don't want a responsibility, though. 18 <laughs> years of that just so I can sleep. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. That's the operative word. Is sometimes. Yeah, you, know, you do that, and the next thing you know, it, your life partner is going to make you sell your skateboard ramp and move out. So, <laughs> Wait. Is there something I should know? (laughs) I have a mini topic. My mini topic is the celebration of the evolution of the reading robot. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but in the software I use for editing our podcast, they recently added what they call overdub voices. And overdub voices are these amazing reading robots that sound really good. And I've been using them in the show here and there, Mm -hmm. just sort of adding them. Hello, I am reading robot Malcolm. I like Star Trek and Voltron and I want to marry a carrot. Now is the winter of our discontent. Made glorious summer by this son of York and all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Oh no, you cannot make me say things I don't want to say, especially this sentence. Even with all the reading robots in the world, at the end of the day, I guess, it will probably be okay. They made the sort of the basic ones available, but you can actually get your own made if you upgrade to their pro plan, which I'm not doing. But like, (laughs) they will make one for you of your voice based on... The recordings that you have made in their editor, right? Oh, that's wild. So so you could theoretically, like when I misspeak, sometimes I'll drop an A or a the in from a different part in the sentence when I'm editing. But like you could literally just type something out with an overdub voice and it would go to town. You know, whenever I would hear stuff like that, I used to think like, damn, that's some Black Mirror shit. But now it's like, damn, that's some 2020 shit. Yeah. And while it might be some Black Mirror shit, 
I am wasting that technology on <laughs> stupid shit, like making it say the word diarrhea seven different ways. Diarrhea, 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 diarrhea. Well, if, if that's if that's all it could do, that actually wouldn't be that bad. Right. It's the other there things are. that people are going to use it for that are problematic. It's definitely problematic. Makes me think of apparently it's a camera with the name, <clears throat> but it's not an app, but it allows men to just take any photo and make nude. It sounds like an audio version of like deep fakes. They're, they're not that good yet, but with a little training, I think they could be. <sighs> Please don't train them. Don't train them. Someone's going to train them. Don't worry. Boston Robotics is working on it. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Listen, as long as we have a president oh, who speaks okay. as ridiculously as the one we have now, <laughs> there's literally no way to make it sound less believable than the things that actually come out of his mouth. <laughs> True. With our utter annihilation imminent, our federal government has snapped into action. Slow the testing down, please. <laughs> And they test. We got tests that people don't know what's going on. We got tests. We got another one over here. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. No. I think that's... That is a good point at which we can get into my topic. Because my first thing is... I am no longer entertained by takedowns. Like, like on TikTok, there's usually like a, a dumb person who posts like, this isn't racist. And then somebody posts the video where they're like, they tear into them, not tear into them, but tear into like their idea, their rationale. I just can't watch that shit anymore. It doesn't even thrill me. Making jokes about Trump doesn't thrill me anymore. Like it never thrilled me, but it was amusing at some point. Now I've peaked on my amusement level. I'm not even bemused. I see what you're saying. Yeah. In essence, there's enough negativity being puked into the world on a daily basis by the president that like that kind of stuff isn't fun anymore. I'll give you a third. I'll third the the no longer enjoying takedown culture. I have noticed in the our YouTube algorithm here, the stuff that the algorithm has been throwing at me is a lot of this takedown stuff where, you know, young inexperienced kid sits there and talks at me about how how woke he is and how stupid everyone is around him but it's just it's just uncomfortable it's not fun to watch yeah and i i hear you i am apathetic mm, mm-hmm. i still love a good trump gotcha even though those gotchas never seem to amount to a goddamn thing there's still something a little bit pleasing about that to me, but just in general, I think that like, yeah, there's just, now there's just this huge lack of empathy and kindness in the world. And so any kind of entertainment that, you know, is that type of thing just is not entertaining. I wonder (laughs) though, that that lack of empathy is really becoming the pandemic was the lack of empathy all along. Well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Let me think on that. No, actually, the pandemic is an aerosolized virus. 
lack of empathy is just why no one cares. Well, you know, that actually, I was driving back from Joanne's with my my two canvases because I want to paint because I need to feel creative. And there was an ambulance approaching me on a two-lane road without a divider in the middle. And you know, protocol says you pull over to the right. The cars ahead of me pulled over, the cars behind me pulled over. And in that moment, I thought to myself, shit, there is still some sense of decorum and empathy Mm. in this world. And it made me sad because when are we going to reach the point where people are going to be like, well, I don't have to pull over. Well, I mean, it is law, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't really matter. That seems like something that will just disappear because it's now like, why should I be bothered by something that doesn't actually affect me right now? And so I'll just keep driving. Like you can figure your shit out. And that's how people are like with masks. Right. Right. And so how long before even that basic that basic thing for the fellow man kind of just in the year of 2020 we people were like yeah fuck it I'm not doing that shit. So when does the social contract around ambulances dissolve? <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah, you. I mean I, I think that's a fair question and I will tell you this, I have been on highways where it has dissolved. Oh, geez. I was not where I thought you were going with that story that people actually got out of the way, because more often than not, it seems to me, and this is a reckon, like I don't have data for it, but anecdotally, it seems to me that, yeah, most people pull over, but there's always one guy who's going to follow in behind the ambulance diehard style to try to get across town (laughs) faster than everybody else. I would say there's always been selfish people, but I think just the the overall anxiety and frustration and what's going on in in our government, I think it it draws our attention to that. But I, I mean, I don't want to give up on humanity. So you're saying it's cognitive bias. Look at all the blue cars on the road. I think so. I think anti-mask people are people that, you know, if you would have seen them in other situations prior to this, they would have been selfish in those situations too. Mm. So what are you doing to escape the effects of them and the pandy? There's a couple things. I, I had really not read a lot in a while and I started getting rolling and now I've read 17 books this year. There was one year when I was a bachelor where I read 105 books in a year. So just to give you some context around how much I I used to read and how much I like to read. So yeah, this year is I've read the most books that I've read in a while. I wasn't really reading a lot until the pandemic started. I have not been able to bring myself to read any kind of fiction. I've been solely focused on nonfiction, some related to, you know, our current government status and everything, but other historical fiction and things like that. So that's been good. I I don't know if I've talked about this on an episode, but I've been taking my boys to different Milwaukee County parks. We've been to 61 Milwaukee County parks now since July. That is definitely something we would have not been doing if there were no pandemic, but you know, they're free. Typically you can avoid people. It's somewhere to go and something to do. So that's been great. And then I think I talked last week on our episode about doing a Zoom call every Friday night with my friends. And there's always a lot of laughs on that call, always a lot of fun. 
So those are my new discoveries since the pandemic began. Let's get into reading because I cannot read. Well, as a general rule, I can't read nonfiction. In fact, I have procured through my thrifting days so many nonfiction books <laughs> because they were acclaimed. Sure. But I can't read them. Similar, I think, to the the reason why I can't read dystopias right now. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know more about how bad things really are. <laughs> like, it gives me more anxiety, and it's not an escape. And I'm actually quite shocked that you find that an enjoyable escape during uh, tumultuous times like these. Like, what do you get out of them? Do they make you feel more secure, being able to understand what's happening in the world or something? Some of them serve that escape purpose. For example, I read Bruce Springsteen's autobiography, but I would say some of them are actually like me trying to do my duty as a citizen right now and understand what's going on in the world. You know, it was weirdly heartening, actually, to read this book called The Great Flood of Jonestown, I think was the name of it that I read, about a flood that occurred over 100 years ago in Pennsylvania. I know that sounds weird to say it's reassuring, but it reminded me that like stuff was screwed up before and stuff is screwed up now. Although we're in a very tumultuous time right now, hopefully we can come out of it somehow transformed and better. I mean, I'm sure these people that were in this flood that had their lives turned upside down probably thought they the morning would never come. And, you know, it's kind of easy to feel that way right now. I, I certainly feel that way. But then reading about how they rebuilt the town and everything, I, I guess was weirdly reassuring. Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. There'll be a wizard on a horse coming over the hill. <laughs> yep. I think that you are a fan of a cleverly and well-written piece of prose. That's uh, yes, indeed. Regardless of the content you're absorbing, there I'm certain there are elements of it where you're like, huh, that is a really well-executed sentence. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And and I as a as an English teacher and a book nerd, I will tell you that there are many books that I have enjoyed solely on that purpose. Right? Mm-hmm. There are books that are really, really well written and entertaining books to read, but nobody should read them unless they like that kind of language. Great sure. Gatsby, like Great Gatsby, is I don't know how that became such a, a beloved book because it's bananas. It, it, the language like that it it uses is so wild and out there and, and non-concrete like and it's delightful but it is not an accessible book that everyone in America should read <laughs> well know? and you know what's you know what's wild about that is I don't know if you've read any of other of F Scott Fitzgerald's stuff but I I found his other stuff is even more impenetrable yeah, no, in general, yeah. Impenetrable is the right word. If you put the effort into it, it's delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. William Faulkner is another one. You can read William Faulkner if you have the PhD and the stack of reading guides, but like no human is going to sit down and read William Faulkner's Sound and the Fury and make a lick of sense out of it. This does not seem enjoyable to me. This is not an escape. 
I tried once with the sound and the fury and I did not make it very far. The Cimmerillion with the right amount of support is very readable, but no more penetrable, right? The Cimmerillion, for those who don't know, is the legendarium and complete history of Middle Earth from creation up until the Third Age, which is where the Lord of the Rings takes place. And it covers everything that is implied in the background of Lord of the Rings. But isn't that more of an encyclopedia? Well, I call it a legendarium because it would be sacrilegious to call it a Bible. But what it really is, is the Bible of the Third Age. It is the story of creation of Middle-earth and the light of Iluvatar and how it disseminates across the ages. It's a philosophy employed by the characters of the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Like It is their worldview. And it's amazing, but it's really a hard read. I don't know if that's a recommendation to help Nakenji. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, okay. So that I I read things that can world build, and so if I open a book and it doesn't world build for me, I'm not gonna read it. Like if you tell me a book is impenetrable, like I'm not reading that bitch. Like I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I'll try to read it, and if it connects with me and I can world build, like, I can start imagining this time and place and, like, people. I think you could. It's just a lot of work because you're you're kind of, like, parsing the sentences really carefully to try to make sure you're understanding what he's saying. I mean, I that think that if you, build the, if you actually built the world, you might find the world to be pretty spellbinding, but it just it's it's, like, a lot of effort. I think I made me feel basic. I'm a basic ass bitch when it comes to book. Basic. (laughs) A a popcorn book, though, is a different read. I don't think it's basic. I don't want you to feel down on yourself because I don't feel down on myself at all. (laughs) I I know you don't, but I'm just saying, like, you read, which is more than most basic bitches I know do. Like, listen, I know somebody who's had a copy of The Stand on her nightstand for 15 years, and that is how she justifies that she reads. Okay. Are you sure she's? Are you sure she's not just using it as a label? As a label? Oh damn! That was a dad joke. You know, it's it's sitting oh. on a nightstand. It's called the stand. Oh, the stand. She's using it to identify um, um, <laughs> the thing that it's sitting on. You have to do the badumtation. No, this, this 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 bureau on which I've set my books once belonged to Stephen King. You might say it's Stephen King's The Stand. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. So we talked about books. So I mentioned dystopias in terms of books. Like, I love me a dystopia, see? I love it. I love thinking about the future and how fucked up it can be, but I don't like it anymore in 2020. So I can't watch dystopias and I can't watch cop dramas. I can't do it anymore. And then for me, which was like something I used to do before the pandemic, I'd listen to The Daily, which is the Mm -hmm. New York Times podcast. And I had to switch from listening to the podcast to just getting the newsletter every day because I couldn't listen to the bullshit going on politically, socially. And then when the pandemic hit, it was just like, I can't, I can't do this because I listened to it in the morning and it would not set up my mood for the day to be a day of productivity. Mm. 
if I do listen to podcasts, because I'm not driving driving anywhere anymore, so like I don't have a reason really. But when I do listen to podcasts, I listen to self help stuff like NPR's Life Kit, because like then I'm always learning something. It's usually like light. And I can, f- I feel more of like a sense of wonder about the world and like, yeah, I can do this today, whatever it is, instead of being like, that motherfucker is going to kill us all. He's just going to fucking kill us all. Have either of you had to do a switch like that? I feel very behind on my podcast because I had all the podcasts also that I used to listen to. And I listened to a lot of them because, you know, I was in the car every day. And now, like, because I'm not in the car that much, I really had to scale back to the things that I've listened to. And I I really only listen to maybe two or three podcasts now, um, which is far less than I used to listen to. What podcasts are those? I'll make one recommendation. My favorite podcast besides this one is called Heavyweight. And it's a Gimlet podcast. And it's basically the host talking through some of the uh, most difficult moments that his guests have faced in their life and, and like kind of helping them think through those moments and maybe confront them and, and overcome them. And it's typically very moving. It's, it's very much like about human spirit and things like that. And so it's kind of the, it's like a perfect uplift for me for right now. I have had a pretty much podcast reversal from my driving days. I used to be a big tech podcast guy. Like I loved listening to This Week in Tech and and all of the tech podcasts, learning about Apple and technology and science and, and stuff. And I really have very little interest in that anymore with one limited exception. And that particular podcast is the Accidental Tech Podcast. And I listen to it not because I care at all what the ghost of Steve Jobs is spinning around about now, but enjoy the personalities who are on it and the interplay. Like it is all about uh, sunk cost fallacy. You know, you're 400 episodes and seven years into a podcast. You're, you're you just are going to sure. keep listening to it. That being said, there are a bunch I don't listen to anymore. I'm really kind of tired of the surface level dissection of popular culture. Mm. And I know that that is what makes the internet, the internet. But I, for a long time, loved listening to people break down the Marvel movies and the Muppets and talk about, you know, talk about pop culture in a way that makes them feel smart. And as that genre has expanded and as my own brain muscles in critical thinking get more and more exercise, I feel less and less moved and smart by this superficial cleverness that drives so much of what I used to consume as culture. You know, that used to be a thing that I'd watch the Doctor Who, I'd listen to five podcasts, break it down, and then I'd have my own opinion and write a blog post about which one was right, right? <laughs> and and I just don't do that anymore. And it's not because of the pandemic. Um, I think it's because of the pandemic, I'm in grad school. <laughs> Specifically because of the pandemic, my graduate program opened up a virtual attendance opportunity so that I can get my master's degree in education. And so when I'm not sitting at my computer teaching or sitting at my computer podcasting uh, or sitting at my computer editing my daughter's schoolwork, I'm sitting at my computer in class. Uh, Like I have had, if you were to put it together, like the last 
four days were 10 to 12 hour days of screen time for me because that's just how my week piles up with the different things I have to do. And I'm not complaining about it. I, I chose to do it. That being said, I go to bed every night and I've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation straight through and there's occasionally episodes I've never seen before or I don't remember having seen and it is pure escapism and I love it my brain goes off I watch fancy men walking around espousing liberal ideals from the 80s and 90s imagining a world where we are post money and post crisis and everyone wears really fancy jumpsuits or if they're important, a little coat and it's just pure brain candy. That's I, I think you triggered me because from our last podcast, because the other day, for some reason, like I'll see Star Trek on Netflix. And I'm like, eh. but I decided, you know what? Fuck it. Let me finish. Let me start back watching Star Trek. What's the one with Jonathan Archer? Enterprise. Enterprise. Oof. <laughs> and I just watch. I'm. I'm just like watching them all. And like, there's a song. There's a long road. Yeah. yeah. No, I just sing it at the top of my voice because I feel yep. such hope for the life in the world. It's been a long time, but my time is. I can feel the change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way And I'm not gonna hold it down no more No, they're not gonna hold it down And it's, <laughs> that is the most maligned Star Trek, by the way, ever made. Like, it doesn't matter! Next Generation was my Star Trek. Enterprise would probably be right in your wheelhouse for that age. Every generation gets the Star Trek that it deserves. That's right. No, we no. This generation did not because I watched. And you know what? That this is this is the old person talking. Yes, I'm old because this Star Trek was the one that's going on now. Discovery. Discovery. Mm-hmm. I when it started, I fucking hated it. Like I, I hated it with the passion of a thousand suns. I love. It, it as a concept i don't like the main actor and i've always felt bad because props to black woman yeah. for leading yeah. but i just don't like her acting it always but i get that she's being half vulcan and that's probably what a half vulcan human child might end up being like i don't know but saturday i started watching it and I just sobbed i sobbed because well i'm in a sobbing mood but also like there, there are these points in movies where I, I think to myself, do I have it in me to make the sacrifice? And like, there was this big major sacrifice that she was making and it just made me so sad. And like, everyone's being so brave. And I was just thinking like, could I be that brave? And then I, you know, you just feel the emotions. So now I'm like, shit, I guess I do like discovery. <laughs> I feel that same way about the very first Garfield television animated special when they take Odie away and Garfield is happy to see him go, but then his heart slowly breaks as he realizes he'll never see him again. I cry like a baby every time I see that, even as an adult. I don't think I've ever watched it. That's okay. It's just know that this is, for the people who are going to understand, this is my great shame. 
<laughs> and I'm laying it out there for you to just at me. Let me know how weak I am. <laughs> We've talked television shows, we've talked books, we've talked podcasts. Tell me about how music has changed for you in 2020. I definitely miss seeing concerts. One of my bands that I just loved when I was younger, the format was just coming back together. I had tickets to see their show in Chicago, and obviously that got moved to next year. I was also excited because I love the band My Chemical Romance, and they were about to come back. I would go to 15, 20 concerts a year. And now, you know, we haven't, haven't been. So, how are you getting that escape then? We've done a few, you know, some bands are doing these things where you can like stream, they're like them playing a show or whatever, like in their basement or whatever. So, I've done a couple of those. My boys have been getting into Bruce Springsteen. So, we've been watching a lot of Bruce Springsteen live. So, they like to dance to that. But yeah, I'm not discovering a lot of new stuff right now. I'm definitely going back to like the old favorites and listening to music that I loved before because it's comforting. Music, much like my entertainment right now, is driven largely by nostalgia. And as a result, my Spotify algorithm is messed up. Mine too. Yeah, it is messed up. I'm not sure why it thinks... I'm a big fan of In the Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson. But like, <laughs> it wants me to listen to that a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure why or what I'm tripping to want to be in the 70s prog rock demographic. Maybe it's my age. I don't know. But I think the reason it's happening is because typically after Star Trek, I will switch over to Spotify and put on a long album, either The Wall or the double disc Jesus Christ Superstar or The Who's Tommy, something long and concepty, mm -hmm. because that will put my brain to sleep as the medication kicks in and then I'll go to sleep. So my music is driven by familiarity and comfort right now, but... I still have managed to discover a few new things because Spotify is so good at that. Yeah. That have really stuck with me. And one of those, believe it or not, is in the court of the Crimson King. That is such a good album. Like I, I, I appreciate it. It's such a good album. Oh, that's what the Spotify robots want you to think. I, well, it's here's the thing. In the Court of the Crimson King was my father's favorite album. And he loved it and he would play his record and he would listen to it and do whatever you do when you're listening to prog rock in the seventies. I don't want to impugn anybody. And he had to stop listening to it one day because while he was away, I got the bright idea to use all of his records as little bricks to make walking paths and laid them out all over the living room. And all of the records survived except his copy of In the Court of the Crimson King. <laughs> <laughs> that one was broken by me standing on it for fun. Parents go through much. Parents go through a lot, but also, why would Spotify torture me with this record that I have daddy issues over? <laughs>
<laughs> That's how the Spotify robots are good, man. And it's really a good record, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, my like my music choices for this year are going to be all over the place. Like usually my Spotify top playlists are I'll then replay all the songs the next year. So inevitably a few from that top playlist make it into the next year's top playlist. But this year, not only don't I really do I not like I don't I'm never in a state of flow, so I'm not like listening to the same song over and over and over mm-hmm. again. But I'm also not listening to new music. The most new music I've added actually this year was because of TikTok. I kept hearing songs that I that I jammed to. So I went to look for a TikTok playlist and I added new ones that I thought I thought I liked. But I so I haven't really been listening to new music or adding new music to like my like my, my most used playlists. So I don't know how the fuck Spotify is gonna figure out like what's in my top <laughs> for twenty twenty. But then also because of the pandemic and the state of affairs, I started listening to those sleep oh, assisting yeah. things where they tell you like self love type shit to fall asleep to. And so now those show up on like my my rewind Spotify playlist. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want those there. And so note to self, I need to find another way to play that kind of self-care stuff. And then if I do get the chance to listen to music, I'm listening to TuneIn to listen to like Caribbean radio stations because I got a job finally and I can't go back home because of COVID. And so that's my nostalgia piece. Here's the other thing. I couldn't watch any more political pre-roll ads on YouTube. So I said, forget it. I'm going premium. The other day I subscribed as a result of the pandemic. This is the pandemic's fault and not me. <laughs> I just can't watch those ads anymore. And my life sure. is is absolutely $14 a month better. Like absolutely <laughs> 100% a $14 a month better. <laughs> Seriously. I, I do believe, too, they must have just changed the algorithm or something because the ads are coming up a lot faster lately. They actually changed their ad insert. They made major changes to how they monetize content. Is that why I'm getting two ads and pre-roll when I go to my watch? I was, today, I was just like, this is why I don't fucking use YouTube. This is why. Yeah. Like, I don't got time for that shit. Sorry. Yeah, and that's why I did the 15. Like, I'm just like, you know what? My child is getting exposed to a lot more advertising here than any other place. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. worth it to me to pull that out. And so here's the here's the the moment of true privilege. So then I go to work and I play a video for kids, you know, and if I use my work account, we have to sit through a freaking ad. <laughs> <laughs> my work account, which is on Google Apps for schools. Like we are a Google school. It does not include YouTube premium. My my boys my boys watch YouTube semi-regularly and yeah they all you know they know now when they're like dad get the remote ad and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dad, commercial, well. dad, commercial and it's like oh this sucks <laughs> thanks youtube so the other thing that the pandemic has given me gifted me with when i was a college radio guy i managed to get a copy of an album that was really special to me and that album was Jesus Christ Superstar, A Resurrection. It was a 25-song double album featuring sort of the best of the Atlanta music scene. 
And most importantly, it includes the Indigo Girls, Amy Ray as Jesus and Emily as Mary Magdalene in the performance, essentially, of the soundtrack of Jesus Christ Superstar. That album was a limited pressing. It was a live recording of a show I think they did during uh, South by Southwest back when that was still a music thing. And at some point I loaned it to somebody and it went away. And I have for years kind of hunted down the people who I think might have and go, hey, you don't happen to have that because like I just want it just a copy like you can keep it. I just I want to rip it. You know what I mean? Because I can't find it on the Internet. It is a rare recording. I only got it because it was something somebody shipped to the college radio station. The music director didn't know what it was, but he knew I liked Jesus Christ Superstar and he gave it to me. Every so often I'll be sitting there on the Internet going, hmm, I wonder if I can find it yet. Well, last night, as I was preparing for this show, I found DamonRecords.com's posting of Jesus Christ Superstar, A Resurrection. Amazing. Wow. And it is every bit as terrible as I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. (laughs) And I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. But if it's your thing, you need to check it out. I would say for me, the one thing I didn't, I would want, I wanted to add is uh, a TV show that I, I just started watching. I, I just finished the first season. It's called Pen 15. I like oh, Pen 15. Yes. So, oh, not penis? That's not what that was a joke about. It is what it was a joke about. Oh, okay, okay, cool, cool. cool. You used to say to someone, Would you like to join the Pen 15 club? And if they said yes, you'd write penis on their hand. what Mm -hmm. um but so like somehow i i don't know i i just feel like somehow this show is made by people that must have been growing up like at the exact same time i was because the music the fashion everything is like exactly how i remember it and it's it's pretty interesting because it's like two 30 year old women who are playing middle school students and you kind of get used to it after a while. So it, it doesn't seem as weird as and disorienting as it does the first episode, but just from a purely like escapism and nostalgia standpoint, that, that one has really been pretty fun for me. Uh, Jennifer, my beautiful wife endorses it. Her response was that it might be the only show she can think of that genuinely captures what it's like to be a middle school girl in America. You almost make me want to watch it, but I just started watching Hellstrom and I love it. And so now I'm saddened deeply that I am now hooked on a TV show that I have to watch one every week. Boom. I'm a new I don't know what that's like anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's <right>. all new. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm going to attempt to do a summary now of what we've learned. What have we learned? Autobiographies make a good escape with nonfiction being reminded that stuff was screwed up before and it's screwed up now provides some measure of hope. 
We also learned that a lack of driving is driving our decrease in podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is so clever. It's well worth it to pay for premium. Well worth it. Well worth it. Finally, I think this is the most important thing of the podcast. Jennifer, Gabe's beautiful wife, has excellent taste. (laughs) (sighs) We're currently in the middle of a pandemic that seems to know no end. We're about to have an election any day now. And hopefully with... (laughs) Hopefully. Allegedly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Allegedly. And hopefully with these tips on how to make the great escape from what reality is as it is right now, it will probably be okay. That's a good topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. 